All right, so I do, I want to address the questions. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that this morning. Uh, we had two actually really, really good ones. One was from uh, our first discussion on salvation. Uh, and I'll kind of draw our, our graph again so you know where these questions are coming from. Uh, it's not a graph. I don't know why I keep an illustration. What should I call this? Help me. A bullseye. I'll draw a bullseye. Okay, so if you, if you remember what is the middle? Very good. Position. Is this one? Identity. Very good. That's why you don't have questions. Because you're listening. And what's this? Assignment. Assignment. Right? So our very first question uh, came from the question of position. Uh, and the question was, we, we talked about in position, uh, we, I kind of maybe rattled the cage a little bit, uh, but really just kind of addressed the idea that I believe that salvation is vastly misunderstood within the Christian world, that we, uh, we somehow believe um, that if I just pray a prayer, uh, that, there is, that there is salvation. If I, if I just walk to the front, that there is salvation. And, um, and we, just, we look in the scriptures, and uh, Jesus, when we, he was asked about, uh, what do I have to do to receive life? Paul, Peter, these guys, they never, they never, they never paused and said, uh, well, let me take you down the Roman road. And then at the end, you can pray a prayer, and there will be salvation. Right, And so it's like, okay, well then what is in the scriptures, where does salvation come from? And we looked at this word, and it's just one word. Every time that, that people ask this question, what must I do to be saved, there's this word, believe. All right, So we explored what this word meant. And, and it doesn't just stand alone, it doesn't just mean believe in anything, right? but it's believe on the Lord Jesus for salvation. Meaning, And we use the example of somebody that's drowning. If you've ever seen a, a video or a movie that depicts uh, a rescue effort, when somebody is drowning uh, and they are and they are about to uh, about to die and the rescue diver is in the water what does that person do in order to be saved right they cast all of themselves onto this diver literally the diver takes them onto onto their back or, or, or wraps them up that this person's complete dependency is on the rescue right does this make sense so this is what we were what, how we unpack this word believe that to believe on Jesus is to is to literally cast all of yourself onto him, that he might be your salvation. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that that doesn't come out as a prayer. That's okay. Some of you are like, well, I prayed to receive salvation. Well, that's okay as long as you believed first. As long as the prayer was a result of belief, this is salvation. I'm not saying that you can't pray in salvation, but I want to tell you that repeating words to a prayer does not save you. Jesus saves you, and belief on him is what saves you. Does this make sense? You're good. So this is what we talked about. We spent a lot of time there. If you have more questions about that, hey, we've got a Facebook account and Twitter that you can hit us up on and, uh, and find out. But uh, I want to spend some time talking about what the question was, okay? So somebody asked, okay, Acts 16 says, believe. We understand that, that this is the word, believe in Jesus uh, for salvation. But there's this passage in James chapter 2. You ready? James chapter 2, verse 19. It says... Uh, sorry, not, yeah, verse 19. It says, You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. The question was, okay, if belief is all that there is for, uh, for salvation, how is it that it, Scripture says that the demons believe? Uh, are we saying somehow that there is salvation for the demonic? Well, no. This is, let's, let's look at the context of this passage. What does it say before, uh, what is the first uh, sentence in verse 19? It says, you believe that God is one. 
says, you believe that God is one, and he says, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So what he's doing is he's pointing to this statement that he previously made, right? He's saying that you believe that God is one. The demons also believe in this truth. And I want to tell you that all things have their origin in him, right? We know this because we know where Lucifer came from, right? The leader of the fall came from the heavenlies. We read this in Isaiah. We read this in Ezekiel. Uh, Lucifer's rebellion uh, came in the kingdom of heaven in fellowship with God. And it says uh, in Revelation that he took a third of the angels with him in his fall. And we believe that he is somehow not crafty. He took a, a third of the angels who were worshiping in the presence of the king of kings and deceived them to the point of exiting the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to know that the reason that spiritual warfare is so intense is because of this passage, because the demonic understand and know that God is one. They have been in his presence. They know him and they know his authority, his power. They also know what is coming to them at the end of the age. The book of Revelation is no secret to the demonic. It is no secret to the enemy. It is, it is why he hates you so much because you are the thing that will prove his uh, demise and send him into the very place that we think he rules. Reality is Satan's not somehow with a pitchfork and horns in charge of hell, but Satan is in this very moment trying to avoid that punishment by corrupting the good and perfect judge. They are well aware of who God is. And it causes them, in this, in this passage it says, and it causes them to shudder. You see this? This is not belief, what I'm talking about. This is not belief in Jesus for salvation. This is belief in something very, very, very different. This is belief that God is who he says he is, and my rebellion to that God is going to cause me to uh, eternally be in a separation uh, from him. Does this make sense? And causes them to shudder. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? This is important. You understand? We believe on Jesus for salvation. This passage is talking about their belief and understanding of who God is. Very different things. Good? Okay. If you have a further question with that, um, please let me know. Okay, the second question, and it's what I want to spend a lot of time on uh, today. It was, it was uh, several parts in this question, but, uh, but, it, but the first part of it was, okay, we've talked about... Uh, We've talked about our identity, right? Last week, we talked about a huge important piece of identity, and we talked about hearing God. We talked about what is, it, what is it like for me to hear God? How do I hear Him? What does it sound like? What is it like to walk in relationship with this God who is clearly speaking and clearly has put Himself in me to have this relationship, have this conversation? What's it like? So we unpacked what it's like to hear God, and we also looked at all the examples in Scripture where men and women receive identity, and where does it come from? The source of identity is always from the mouth of God. Does this make sense? Jesus, when he's baptized, I'll go back over our example, when he's baptized and he's, and he's raised out of the water, what voice comes? Voice of God, right? And it says what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay? This makes sense? So through this, and we looked at, we looked at the word rhema. Okay? Rhema is this Greek word. It talks about, uh, it, it means like living and active voice of God. It's, it's the word I'm speaking to you now, you're hearing it, is living and active. This is my rhema word, right? This is not something I've written down, okay? And we looked at the, the necessity of the rhema word and how in scriptures, when, a lot of times when it talks about God speaking to us, he's talking about this word rhema, 
So, where do we get our identity? Jacob. Where did he get his identity? He wrestled with God, and God says, what is your name? He says, Jacob, and he says, no longer, and out of the voice of God comes this new name, Israel, right? Does this make sense? Okay. Uh, David, it's a little bit different. David uh, is anointed by who? What's his name? Who's the prophet that anoints David as king? Samuel, right? David, going as a, pro- as a prophet, speaking on behalf of the Lord, utters this word that David is to be king. So David receives his identity through uh, the prophetic word of God, right? Does this make sense? So in all situations, it may look different, but in all situations, it's through this rhema word of God, right? It's where people receive identity. So that's what we talked about uh, last week is how to hear. I want to talk a little bit more about that this week if we get to it. But the question was, What if I've gone before God and I've asked him for this identity and I've asked him, who who am I, right? And I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but some of you are like, okay, we've really been talking about this and I have done that. I have put myself before the Lord in the quiet places. I have have sought to know who I am. I want to know what heaven uh, sees when it looks at me. I want to know what God has created me to be. I want to know my identity. And you've put yourself before him and many of you have come back and, and spoken with me about it and you're like, I don't hear anything, right? I don't know. God hasn't said anything. I don't, I, don't, I don't know who I am. And the second part of that question was, and then sometimes God has said who I am. And I'm going to address both of these, but sometimes uh, God has said who I am. I've heard it. I've spent this time in prayer, and I know exactly what God is saying about me, and I don't really get it. I don't quite understand how this connects. I don't really see the, the, the fullness of it. I'm not real sure how to process it from this point carrying forward, right? I may have heard it, but I don't know what to do with it. How does it work moving forward? Does this make sense? So two very, very different questions. Uh, I want to address both of them. I think that they both have the same, very much the same um, answer. So I, I want to uh, attempt to, to look at that with you, okay? Does it, do you understand the questions? Everybody good? You're not as excited as you were 15 minutes ago. What happened? <laughs> Focus. Okay, it's intense. Okay, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, so I, I uh, go to First Samuel. I want to show you a few things. I, I just l- think for um, continuity, we're just going to stick with our uh, examples. You can find these truths over and over in the scriptures, but uh, we're going to stay with kind of our, uh, our three guys that we've talked about, uh, Jacob, Jesus, and, and David, uh, in terms of, uh, terms of identity. But let's, let's, let's address both these questions uh, with the same, uh, maybe with the same answer. In both of these questions, we are, we are asking a question about a process. You understand this? In both of these questions, whether you are saying that I have been before the Lord and He has not said anything, or you're saying He has said and I don't know how to dot, 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 right? Both of these questions are a question about process. The very first thing that we've got to understand, and we have to understand it very first, and we've got to be okay with it at the beginning, or the rest of this is going to be very, very, very frustrating. Remember last week, uh, and then the week before, I told you that you are either in, you are in three places, possibly, in your life. You're either in a training ground, a proving ground, or a battleground. God is either teaching you something new, training ground, right? This is where we learn the new stuff, right? This is, this is where the Holy Spirit is teaching us new things about us, about others, about the truth of God's word, right? This is the training ground. Then we move into this proving ground where what we have taught now has to be proven in our lives. It is not enough. 
and we see it too much, but it is not enough for you to know the truth of God. It must process through and become your lifestyle. This is the proving ground. God has got to be able to give you truth. There's got to be a seed planted, and then that seed has got to grow, or the seed is worthless. You understand me? And then there's the battleground where what has been trained and proven, what has been ironed out in you, is now, now ready to go into places of battle where you are to do what the Lord has called you to do, and that is bring heaven on the earth. That is what you are supposed to do in your life. You are supposed to bring heaven on the earth. And God brings us to this place through training, proving, and battle, right? But we've got to understand, before we, before we even get into that, that all of those things are a process. Does this make sense? And, and the best example that I can give you is a soldier. When a, when a soldier first enters into boot camp, how equipped are they to go out onto the battlefield? Not at all, right? It would be a rough go. People would just mentally break down. They would physically not have what it, what it takes. It would be awful. So there is this process that takes place in the soldier where things are refined in them. They learn a new way to think. They learn a new way to perceive the reality of the battle. They, they are become physically in shape to do it. I just want to tell you that when, when people come out of boot camp, they look totally different than when they came in, right? They can do a lot more push-ups than when they came in. There is just this, this physical enabling that, that occurs, right? Because it is necessary on the battlefield. But all of this is a process. How many soldiers go in on the first day? Anybody in the military? Did you, where, where are you at in this process? Okay. Okay, so uh, thank you. Thank you for serving, seriously. Um, your very first day of training, uh, did you show up and go, okay, I'm here, and then turn around and they say, okay, man, time for battle? No. That would have been crazy, right? This is a lot of times the way we approach the Lord in asking for identity, though. We go before him and we go, okay, man, I'm ready. Tell me. I'm ready to go. You know, it's like, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. I need to, I need to move on, right? I, I need you to just tell me who I am so I, can, so I can move on. If we don't understand that God has got us in a process, then we will become very frustrated in the process that he's taking us through. Does this make sense? Are you hearing me? Because so many of us come to the table and it is like, we just want to gratify this desire to understand uh, identity so we can go about uh, things the way that we would like to go about things. And what God is doing is he's saying, no, 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 wait, I need to teach you to hear me because when I speak this, this is going to be one of the sweetest things that you've ever heard in your entire life. I'm not going to give it to you like fast food. But we live in that kind of culture. Now, I want it now. And we go before God and we demand of him fast food. And God's saying, that's not my business. I, I, it's not made to order, <laughs> right? I crafted this from eternity past. This took my son to bring into reality. You think I'm just going to flippantly speak this name to you that you might go on about your business? Absolutely not. Because this is one of the most crucial things that you can have in your life. besides your position, that's why it's the next one out, this is the most important thing that you can understand in your walk with the Lord, is who you are. And if this becomes flippant, if this just becomes, well, I'm just going to go to him this time, and, and if he doesn't answer, well, then I guess Kendall was lying. There's no real identity thing here, right? If this is, if this is flippant, then you weren't ready to receive it anyway. 
and praise God that you don't have it because you would not be able to handle what he was about to speak to you. You are in a process. You need to be okay with that, the beginning of this. I think we all need to stop and, and kind of take a little inventory and, and recognize that the Holy Spirit has been given to us that he might make us like Jesus, right? This is your design, that you might be as he was uh, on the earth. Jesus said, you got to be holy as I am holy. You're going to do greater things than I do. You're going to pray in my name, and things are going to be bound and loosed, right? He is preparing us and giving us everything we need in order to be as he is in the earth, right? This is a tremendous process of the Holy Spirit. I just wanna, you, you need to be excited, though, that we have everything we need in order for the process to occur. We've got the fullness of God that lives in us. We have access to all truth. We are living under a heaven that is wide open. We live uh, under a daddy that calls us sons and daughters and has said, anything that you ask in my name, uh, I'm going to give it to you. So when you go here and you say, I-, I-, I want my identity, and he doesn't give you fast food, I want you to know that this is the goodness of God. I want you to know that it's the absolute, absolute love and goodness of God that would not flippantly speak to you that which is so precious in the kingdom of heaven, that he would teach you how to pray, that he would teach you how to wait, that he would teach you how to hunger and thirst for something that really is worth waiting for, that he might bring you to a place where you are ready to walk in and receive who you are. This is the goodness of God. Some of you went in to the prayer room and you said, okay, I want my identity and I want it right now, and then you left angry, and you should have left excited because you got to know that when you go and you ask, God says, yes, yes, now let me take you on a process to which I can speak it to you. And that's the goodness of God. I didn't hear the first time I asked. I didn't. I asked a lot, and I didn't hear, not a word. In fact, God did the opposite with me. This is wild. God, instead of like this instant gratification, what God did is that he removed himself. We've got this, uh, I'm ready, watch out, turn the board. (laughs) Boom, I don't have to write it every time. (laughs) So what I realized when I was asking, I was asking right here. Does this make sense? I was asking in my, in my flesh. I was wanting to know to satisfy my flesh. And what God was doing in my life at this point was he was teaching me, how do, I, how do I live based on the inner man? How do I walk in fellowship with his spirit? That does not occur in my mind, in my will, in my emotions. That occurs, God says to the woman uh, at the well, what does he say? That fellowship with me, worship of me has got to happen in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. So if you're going to interact with him, it has to be in spirit. I didn't know how to do this. I had theology of about this, but I had no lifestyle. You understand? Are you with me? Wake up. This is good. You have theology about this, many of you. You have theology about the Spirit of God and the intimacy that He gives us in His Spirit, communing with ours, but you have no lifestyle. You have no actual time of intimacy. You have scriptures that you point to that you say it must be true, but you don't have it. And this word of identity is spoken right here. And so if you don't walk with him in the deepest, intimate parts of your life, then of course you're not going to hear. But be excited because he's teaching you how to walk there. This is what the Lord did with me. I asked him when I was here, and God said, okay, you really want it? And I said, yes, Lord, you know, (laughs) come on, I'm ready, you know. And he said, okay, you're not going to feel me for a long time. When you, when you are in worship, it will be emotionless. Your mind is not going to be able to just get to me. I'm going to remove myself from your flesh. 
It's okay to feel God. I'm just telling you, it's not a bad thing to feel God. But sometimes we get so dependent on the feeling of God that we don't know how to commune with Him in the deepest, most intimate parts of who He actually is. And here's the problem, that when you go out into a place where you don't feel Him, you get really freaked out because you're like, He's gone. There's no relationship, right? Because we don't know how to seek Him in the deepest part. Feeling Him should come from an overflow of the Spirit. And so what God said to me is that, Kendall, you want to know who you are? I've got to come out of your emotions. I've got to come out of your, uh, of your intellect. I've got to come out of your will. I've got to come out of this place of feeling me, and I've got to teach you how to engage me in the Spirit. And so I had the, uh, about eight months of the most miserable time in my emotions of my life. But what it taught me is I had to become so dependent on the feeling of him that I didn't have any clue how to access him in the spirit. I remember the scariest part of it was I was a youth pastor, and we had this revival deal. Uh, it was this one-night deal, and, uh, and six of my students were saved in that moment. And I remember freaking out because I was standing there, and like the thing that should be the most epic in my heart was I had nothing. I felt nothing. I was dead emotionally. And I remember freaking out and crying out to God. I just saw people surrender their lives to you, and nothing. Nothing happened on the inside of me, and he said, it's okay, it's good, it's me. And that was the night where I finally said, okay, God, I just trust you. I trust you in this process. This is freaking me out, but I trust you in this process. If you haven't heard, if you've sought him, and this is true about you, if, listen, this has to be true first. And if you have been bathed in the blood of Jesus, if you are his son and his daughter, you've got to understand that the, the truth of John chapter 4 says that he is going to give you good things. And when, so you, when you go and ask and you don't hear, you just got to receive it in goodness. You've got to receive it and go, I know this is the goodness of God in my life. Does this make sense? Are you with me? Because he's teaching you how to hear. He's teaching you how to listen. And then I promise you there will be a day. He is not evil. He is not cruel. God is love. God is good. There will be a day when that whisper comes. And I remember that day. It was like my emotions still had not returned, right? Like I didn't, still didn't feel him. But you know what? I know how to hear him. Oh, it's a sweet good day when that voice comes and says, Kendall, let me tell you who you are. And it wasn't based in my emotion. I was able to receive it. And it wasn't before a few months after that that God returned. And it was a glorious return to my emotion when I felt him again. But I knew that it didn't depend on my feeling of him because I had him in the spirit. You understand? Not if you understand, for real. Let's engage a little bit here. You good? Okay. So if you don't hear, don't quit. If you don't hear, keep going back. If you don't hear, engage the process. Ask God to keep speaking. Relent yourself to the process. A lot of you have not even relented yourself to the process yet. You haven't, you haven't said to God, I'm available to you to do what you want to do in me. I just want to hear. And God's saying, wait, I want you to relent to the process because here's the reason why. Because after you hear, it is a process. This is the reason that he waits for us to, re to receive the process because after you hear, it is a process. It is not an overnight thing. Again, we can't have this fast food mentality of God. When he speaks to you, who he's created you to be, right? Jenny, may I share your... When he speaks to you, 
Cheney, you are, you are my songbird, right? He's got to, you got to understand that just speaking that doesn't just like put us in the field of lilies skipping around, right? Okay, there's a process to come through that, right? He's just trained you in who you are. Now he's got to prove it and then take it to the battleground, right? So this is the second part of the question. But it's the same answer. It's a process. I want you to go, I, I had you turn somewhere, but I don't know where I had you turn, but go, go to 1 Samuel. Is that where I had you? Yeah. I want to show you this. Okay, so go to 1 Samuel. We're going to look at these examples in process. Is everybody okay? All right. Sometimes I worry about you when you get really, really quiet. I don't know if they're okay. Okay. Let's do, uh, uh, go to chapter 17. Okay, so we know the story of David. I don't feel like we need to give a ton of, of background here. We know um, what was David doing uh, when, um, uh, when the prophet came. He was tending his sheep, right? The lowliest of all the brothers, right? Dad parades all of them in front uh, of the prophet and says, you know, are you sure it's not one of these guys because they're all pretty awesome? And he says, the Lord has chosen none of these. Is there any more? And he says, well, yeah, but... <laughs> Yeah, but it's the shepherd, <laughs> like, right? And so, they, so they, they bring David in, and you know the story, and, and, uh, and there's just, just this incredible moment where the Spirit of the Lord is evident, and, and uh, God says, this is mine. This is the one that I have chosen, right? And David is chosen to be king. He is anointed in that moment uh, as king. Now, uh, the next day, anybody know what David was doing the very next day? What? You mean he wasn't the king the very next day? Ha ha ha, yes. <laughs> Participation. <laughs> right, but do you see this? Have you ever read this or do you like, you, are you like me? You just read the highlights. It's like, oh, he said he was, he was going to be king. Then he was king. He was messing Goliath up. And then it was like, oh yeah, you know, and it's all these epic moments, right? Just because God came and said, you're going to be king, right? I want to tell you that the very next day, the very next hour, he's anointed and David returns to be a shepherd. He goes out to the lowliest, most uh, non-glorified place on all of the earth, and that is picking up the poo of the sheep. You understand this? This is where David goes back and ministers as king, Right? You all, we, we want this glory, like we've like, God, speak to me my name, and then I'm going to go out and bah, I'm going to conquer, right? And I'm just going to be this oh, person that on campus that people are just going to, like, my shadow's going to heal people. I read this in the scriptures, and I'm like, come on, you know, I want it. I want you to know that you've got to get back in the wilderness. And you need to be ready for God to take you back in the wilderness, because it's the best thing that he could do for you. Because just because he speaks your name doesn't mean you're ready to walk in it. But it does mean that God wants to take you in a process to teach you how to walk in it. Because as much as we love the Goliath story, I want you to know that if David hadn't had time in the wilderness processing the name, the calling that God had put on his life, David would never have been victorious over Goliath. Because what happens, David goes to Saul, and Saul says, all right, man, you really want to do this? You up for the task? Saul gives him his armor. Do you remember this? And Saul says, you got to wear my stuff in order to do it. What's David's response? No, dude, that's not who I am. This junk is way too heavy for me. I'm a little kid, right? And I already came packing heat. I don't need your sword, right? I already got my smooth stones and I got my slingshot. I know how to operate as God has called me to operate. I don't need your story. Come on. 
If you're not confident in who you are, then when the temptation comes to be somebody else, you will pick it up because you have not been in the process of the wilderness. David says, that's not who I am. And his victory over Goliath is only because the identity that God had given him was proven in the desert in complete obscurity. How many people knew David's name? Like two. God and the prophet, right? And his dad. His dad wasn't even too fired up about him, right? David, the only reason David even went to go see Goliath is because dad said, I need you to run a few errands, right? Not because dad was like, dude, you are king, right? This was not the conversation. It was like, hey, here's some bread. I need you to really kind of get the gossip on your brothers. That was why David went, right? You understand this. There's no glory in that. You are, you are, some of you are so after the glory that you have missed the process. Some of you are so ready, like God has spoken, I know who I am, and it is time for me to arrive. I need somebody to, re- to recognize that I am who I am and say, come on, I, I want to praise you. Oh, come on. Is it not praise enough for the believer that Jesus would look at us, adore us, and call us uniquely by name, and then send us into a place uh, to do business in his Are you not satisfied enough with the honor of being called by the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Does it not do something deep in your spirit to have Jesus meet you in the eyes and say, I love you and I'm going to send you because I made you to be sent? Come on, why are we still after what man, how man would praise us? God has favored you. Is there something else? Right? I'm done. I don't have to live another day. God has looked on me with favor. He has sent his son to die on my behalf. It is enough. Humility is created when we receive that, when we receive the honor of being called by him. Humility is not getting the bright lights and going, well, it's the Lord, right? That's not humility. That is selfishness in its most disgusting form. Come on. We need a generation of people that are just excited that God would call their name, that, you, that he would speak to you and bring you out and then set you in a place where he has brought you to be to bring his kingdom on the earth. Come on. But it's a process. It is a process. Where did Jesus go right after God said, this is my beloved son? Where did he go? The desert. Anybody? He didn't go healing people. He went straight to the desert where he did not eat for 40 days. How many of you went there after your identity? Right? I'm not bashing you, but I'm saying, come on, let's get a perspective here. And he was chastised and ridiculed and tempted in all things by the devil himself while he was not eating so that he might come out of that 40 days ready to walk in who God had called him to be. Yes, do you receive this? What did Jacob do? God says, your name is Israel. What was Jacob doing? Where did he go right after that? Did he go and write his name in a book and say... Come on, praise me. No, you know where he went? He went across the street because who had caught up to him? His brother Esau. And what was Esau going to do? We, we read in the scripture something different. But in Jacob's mind, what was about to happen to Jacob? It was over. His brother had caught him, pursued him to the point where he was going to kill him. This was it for, De, uh, for Jacob. Now Israel. 
You understand this? So what he does is he says, okay, wife, kids, you guys roll on ahead of me. This is it for me. Do you see the courage? Do you see the confidence in his identity that he, would might, that he might turn around and go across the street knowing that his execution is waiting? Why? Not because he wanted the lights, but because he knew who he was. Because now he's like, I can die now, right? I can face all the things that have, that have uh, bound me in my past because I know who I am. And I can imagine uh, that there was tremendous humility in this moment. We read about it. He doesn't even approach his brother. He gets on his face. Right? This is this tremendous sign of respect in this culture. He gets on his face and he moves without even, without even putting his eyes up. And he, and he slowly moves to his brother. And then this is so good. We read this, just this moment of reconciliation. Esau runs to him and kisses him. And there's this, there's this reuniting of these, of these brothers. But I want to tell you that Jacob didn't go because he knew his brother was going to kiss him. Jacob knew because he now had what it took to go and face the wilderness to go and face the extreme moment, and he allowed the Lord to process him. Does this make sense? Are you with me? There's a process in every one of these guys' lives. If we read in Ephesians, Paul receives his, his name. God shows up, right, in this light, and we celebrate that, and then we think, like, Paul went crazy, right? We read that, that he's, he's blinded, and then, and then Paul goes to the disciples, and they have, like, a, a coming home party, okay? No, this is not the, not the story, right? They're skeptical of him, and they're like, don't bring this guy near us, right? But that's after Paul goes away. Ephesians says he went away for seven years. Do you read this? Don't skip over it, right? It wasn't road to Damascus and then uh, bright lights. Seven years, Seven years, and it says that he, he did not consult with flesh and blood, but he just allowed the Lord to process. He just sat for seven years and let God refine in him who he was, and then we read about Paul's story. It's a process. And in order for this thing to go through, in order for us to walk in this, we've got to be okay with the process before and after God speaks who we are. It was a great question. I am so glad that question was asked, because that needs to be addressed. Because what's happened is you guys have been frustrated, and I'm sorry. You've been frustrated when you get before the Lord and there's nothing said or it's, it's said and it's like, whoa, whoa what, what do I do now? It's the process. The goodness is that you're in the process with Him. You don't have to figure it out. Just keep submitting to the process. Keep allowing God to work on you. Keep allowing God to refine you, teach you, show you how to be as He is on the earth. And He's given you all that you need in order to do it. Does this make sense? You with me? Okay. I don't really feel like we need to... Jesus in the desert, i just give you a few references. Jacob is in Genesis 33. You can read about his confrontation with, with Esau. Uh, Jesus in the desert is in Matthew chapter 4. And then, of course, uh, David, 1 Samuel, but we were there. Uh, the questions, um, in case you want to go back, questions came from Acts 16 about belief in James 2. Um, and then next week, if you want to read ahead, if we don't have a baby by then, I'm so close to getting a baby girl. <laughs> We've been eating Mexican food and walking and <laughs> come on, bring on the peppers. Let's get this baby coming. <laughs> so I'm so ready to have my baby girl. Um, and it's kind of cool. Uh, her name is going to be, I don't know if I've told you, but her name is going to be Abigail. I'm not quite sure on her middle name yet. We're like, Lord, <laughs> waiting on you, man, but <laughs> we're close. <laughs> um, but she will be here in a few days. So just so you um, understand, uh, if I'm not here, uh, that's where I am, uh, is with my 
with my baby girl. Um, and uh, But I'll be back um, shortly. Lance is going to step in for me um, after that occurs, and, uh, and he's going he's gonna to bring the word. I'm really excited about that. Um, sorry, I just can't, whew, I can't talk about her. And there's an Abigail in the house today, and so it was like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> Catherine's sister is, is Abigail, and I met her this morning, and it was like, whoo, I got to get right before I talk again, because I just can't. anyway, um, so is everybody good? Okay. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Lord. <laughs> So we're okay now, Lance. <laughs> the prophet Lance has spoken, right? <laughs> oh, anyway, sorry, we just took a wrong turn. Um, <laughs> let me pray over you and we'll go. God, we just thank you for this time that you've been here. We thank you for questions. Thank you that you have us all in process. God, I just say to you now that I just continue to submit my life, submit my family to the process. God, you can have whatever you want from us. We are yours. God, I just pray this generation would recognize the immense honor of being called by you. The tremendous honor of having Jesus call us into action. We thank you, God. We were not even worthy for the call, but not only did you, did you make us worthy by dying on our behalf, what greater act of love could you have shown us? But then you gave us all of yourself and said, you are a co-heir with me. And everything that you have is now ours, and we can walk in fullness of life, and we thank you for that, God. We receive that call with honor and humility. And however you choose to process us in that, we just say to you that we will be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys got a few minutes. Uh, you can sign up for, what, I, there's a glare. What does it say, 33? Okay, so you got a few minutes to sign up for marriage retreat if you'd like. Um, Chat, hang out, you're dismissed.